Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss game three is in the books the toronto maple leafs win 2-1 over the montreal canadians to take a 2-1 series lead this is the yahoo sports hockey podcast i'm justin cuthbert that's julian mckenzie julian let's get right into it let's do it main takeaway main takeaway from this game uh, obviously a hard-fought game. Maybe it wasn't as competitive as it seemed it was going to be until we reached the third period when the Montreal Canadiens pushed hard for that equalizer. Um, but the Leafs are ahead, maybe as expected. And, you know, new things are developing here in this series. Yeah. Uh, from the Canadian standpoint, a reoccurring problem that is not unique to the season we just had with the Montreal Canadiens, but can be pretty much traced back to some of the better years of Carey Price's time as a Montreal Canadian, where Carey Price will stand tall in the net, make as many great saves as he can, and not have much run support. Sportsnet showed during the game a really interesting graphic. Uh, I believe the stat they tried to use is like goals, average supporters, like goals in support, I believe, right? Like it's a way of just showing, you know, how much goals he's had in front of him. It's below two. Since 2014-2015 in the playoffs, it's a rate worse than what Peter Morazic has had and a rate worse than Craig Anderson as well. All this to say, Carey Price, uh, at very at different points in the playoffs with the Montreal Canadiens, has not had a lot of run support, and tonight was just one of those nights. And, I mean, the fact that Cole Caulfield, a guy who was sitting in the press box for games one and two, looked like the team's most dynamic player, was getting all those chances – was also very telling as well. It was just a bit frustrating on an offensive standpoint for the Montreal Canadiens. That's pretty much the biggest takeaway I think you can gather from looking at the Montreal Canadiens in game three. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, if, if we saw what we would expect from Carey Price or the situation around Carey Price, um, I think we saw just like the best representation of what we thought everything was going to look like in the series. Like, I, I think we knew coming in, that Carey Price might need to be something in order for the, the, the Montreal Canadiens to have a chance. And I think we knew what has plagued him in terms of his individual success is the fact that he hasn't got enough run support. But again, like if we are taking in exactly what we thought was going to happen, I think this game illustrated that more than anything else. I mean, early the Leafs run up this huge tab and Montreal punishes them for it by, you know, just trying to throw their weight around a little bit. As you mentioned, Carey Price keeps them in. Montreal uses an opportunistic moment to tie the game. Leafs finally break through after that, shortly thereafter. And then the Leafs, as it is with them, characteristically, nothing comes easy, and the Montreal Canadiens push hard and almost equalize. 
And like, if, if you could sort of encapsulate it or put, boil it down to something, this, I think this game is exactly what we would expect. Maybe a little enter, more in, entertaining though than what we might expect. I thought this was just my main takeaway, just an outstanding game. Uh, I thought it was thoroughly entertaining as you know, a neutral observer maybe more entertaining for Leaf fans than Montreal Canadiens fans. And I, th I think you'd probably agree with that. But if you're watching this game, you're at the edge of your seat because the, the shots, I think the shot attempts were 20 to four for the Montreal Canadiens in the third period. And I don't know how many got through and how many Jack Campbell had to deal with. He had to deal with quite a few. But in terms of entertainment and the, the nail-biting aspect of this game, I, I just thought it was a fantastic third period, at least a fantastic conclusion to the to the game and, and something that was superior to what we saw at at least games one and two. And, I, and to that point, I'll say as a neutral observer, it would have been cool to see the Canadians at least equalize and send the game to overtime and possibly give us another period or two to see what both these teams would have in an overtime. That's pretty much what we're missing from this series so far. We, we've seen all these other playoff series and the Stanley Cup playoffs go to the extra periods. Montreal and Toronto have not had that yet. Maybe we will at some point in this series. That's pretty much what's missing. But yeah, I think the fact that the Canadians woke up, uh, at least from an offensive standpoint, with the shots that they were able to get, if memory serves, uh, I know you mentioned shot attempts, but in terms of actual shots on net, they had 15 in the third period. They had a combined 14 through the first two periods. Uh, at least for the Canadians, they were able to get their shots up in the third. But again, just to speak from the Canadian standpoint, they have to be a bit frustrated with themselves with the fact that they were not able to make it a more consistent effort. And I don't know whether we were going to talk about special teams or not, but to tease it, the Canadians obviously were not good enough on special teams and they were not good enough in terms of getting shots there as well. So as exciting as it was for them to try to make it close in the third period, they were within striking distance of sending this game to overtime uh, maybe not necessarily too little too late, but if you're the Canadians or maybe a casual observer as well, it would have been interesting to have seen them play a bit more consistently throughout the game and not just kind of put it all out there in the third. Certainly. I mean, it, they were, they were in the position they were in because Gary Price mainly, but they at least showed that they can make late game situations very difficult on the Leafs. So I think that's definitely something to move forward or to look at moving forward and something if you're the Maple Leafs, uh, coaching staff that you have to be acutely aware of. But again, this game was close for one reason, and that was Carey Price. Maybe Jack Campbell met his, you know, rose to the occasion and was as good in the third period as Carey Price was throughout the rest of the game. Um, but this game was close for one reason, and that was Carey Price. The Maple Leafs, they were outshot or out, uh, attempted 20-4. to four. It was similar the other way for the Maple Leafs uh, in the first two periods, particularly the second. Um but it was just another reminder, right, that this is going to be a dominant version of Carey Price that we're going to see. It's not the one that's shattering his stick in practice or playing for the Laval Rocket and giving up two goals uh, to no-name hockey players. Like, this is, this is a guy who can flip the switch, and this is another example of it. The save on Jason Spezza was Man. absolutely spectacular. That wasn't just fortune. Yes, it's fortune. There's an element of it when you dive across the net and, you know, you're only covering a fraction of it and you manage to make the stop. But he, there was like a calculated effort there. Like he, I, it almost seems like he turned over his stick to maximize his like paddle width. And he took the time to jump into that area. It wasn't just reactionary. He was consciously trying to get there. It, it wasn't just a complete fluke that he got across and stopped Jason Spezza. An absolutely unbelievable save and one of the best saves that we're going to see in these playoffs. But 20 shots for the Maple Leafs in the second period. He did give up two goals there. 
but he held the fort long enough for the Montreal Canadiens to be in this game for sure. To add to the save on Spezza, he was speaking about it post game. He, he straight up said it was desperation. Uh, he thought Spezza was going to shoot at that point, And he just tried to get himself in a position where he, he could at least get a piece on it. And in the end, it turns into one of the better saves we've seen him make in the postseason. And between that save and, and the one he made on Mitch Marner in game one, he has two solid candidates for save of the postseason. And, and that's not, and, and you know what, like, we also got to shout him out for the saves that he made in the second period as well. There were a flurry of them. He had a goal mouth scramble, uh, just trying to keep the Maple Leafs at bay as well. Not as scintillating as the save he made on Jason Spezza, but there are a number of saves that Carey Price has made throughout this series that have not only kept the Montreal Canadiens in the series, but have also just been highlight real worthy. I, I mean, a lot of people, I'm still just, and I know I kind of alluded to it in the last time I was on the podcast, but I'm still just a bit more in awe at the fact that so many people heading into this series were so quick to put Carey Price down and say he just was not a legit option for this team heading into the playoffs. When this guy is healthy and at his best, there's no other guy there should be worth considering putting in the net for the Montreal Canadiens. I understand Jake Allen did as best as he could to hold the fort for this team in the second half of the year, but Carey Price is healthy. He's zoned in. And he gives the team its best chance to win every night in this series. So it's, it's just been interesting to kind of see uh, some people go out and be like, no, Jake Allen should be the guy and, and kind of seeing what their takes are going to be now three games into this series. Okay. Before we get into the finer details of the game, let's review the changes. Obviously um, there continues to be lineup shuffling um, partly due to injury and partly due to performance and optimization. So uh, let's start with Montreal. Um, yes, Barry Kotkaniemi stayed in. And then mm. it seemed Thomas Tatar was going to come out, but Eric Stahl couldn't go after the, the morning skate. And that brought in Cole Caulfield for Stahl instead of Cole Caulfield for Thomas Tatar. So the goal was to get Cole Caulfield into the game, which we discussed uh, on the last podcast. And that was one of your main priorities that you set forth. And that ended up being one for Dominique Ducharme as well. Um so it wasn't exactly how we wanted. If there's, if it goes by merit, uh, I mean, I don't think Eric Stahl's played particularly well in the first two games. Maybe it had to do with injury. I don't think he's played particularly well the entire time he's been in Montreal. Um, but Thomas Tatar, g- give me an explanation on why Thomas Tatar was coming out over anyone else and why it had to be that Cole Caulfield got in tonight. And, and then I guess how Cole Caulfield performed with the opportunity that he got. It seems as if with the playoffs and Thomas Tatar, uh, just something just isn't clicking. Uh, the fact that he was on, you know, we know him as a guy who, when he plays on the line with Philip Deneau and Brendan Gallagher, that's a line where he's been able to see some success as long as he's, as long as he's been with the Montreal Canadiens. But for whatever reason in the postseason, he just has not had that success. And when you consider the team uh, entering that game three, was not getting goals in on net. I think they went like three goals in two games and it's only like four goals in four games now. Oh, sorry, four goals in three games, excuse me. Look at me being bad at math. All that to say the Canadians are not getting the goals in net. Cole Caulfield is a guy who's able to get offensive chances and has scored in the regular season. And as I mentioned earlier, Cole Caulfield throughout most of the game was putting himself in positions where he would get chances on net. Uh, there was another play in the first period where he was rushing through the neutral zone, makes his own entry, didn't even get a shot off, but that was dynamic. That was exciting. That was a lot better than what we've seen from a lot of other Montreal Canadiens throughout this series. Paul yep. Byron's outstanding goal in game one, notwithstanding. Uh, the fact that he had sat through the first two games 
you have to kind of scratch your head a little bit, considering the way the state of this team offensively right now. They need a guy like Cole Caulfield in the lineup. And Thomas Tatar, uh, through the games that he played in this series, didn't show half of the brilliance that Cole Caulfield scored. I get showed that I get that Cole Caulfield did not score, but again, the, the chances he was able to get and the positions he was able to put himself in to get chances, whether at even strength or on the power play, uh, it's a lot better than a lot of other players on offense for the Canadians so far. I'll give you my Cole Caulfield hot take just because we're on the subject, but it seems like he's the guy who's going to put himself in the best positions to be in scoring areas. But I think this game is a little bit too fast for him right now, the way it unfolds. I, I find that he's not able to take the chances that he's getting as effectively. Now, Justin Hall made a great play on that glorious chance that he had at the end of the game. He hit the crossbar on the power play. I mean, there's opportunities there, but it's just like Cole Caulfield is like one, you know, maybe 20 games away from being the player that's going to know exactly how to take his opportunities. Are you seeing maybe just a little bit missing in that regard the same way I am? I don't disagree with that, but I'll say that, you know, for the Canadians' sake, could you have imagined if they had thrown him into the playoffs and he was playing his very first games? Considering what he looked like in the regular season, I, I totally can, can I totally agree with you on the fact that there are moments where you know, the game still looks a little too fast for him, but I think it looked way faster for him in the regular season, at least in the mm. playoffs. What we've in the, the one game we've seen from him so far, he's at least started to kind of bridge the gap a little bit. And, and I think the fact that he just kind of attacked the game and didn't look scared, he tried not to hesitate that much, that also helped him uh, on a positive note in game three against the Leafs. So I'll say this with Cole Caulfield. Definitely, he needs more NHL games under his belt to really feel a bit more comfortable and a bit more at ease with the speed of the game. But the Canadians deserve some credit for at least having him kind of ease into it with some regular season games before just throwing him into the melee of a playoff game. Yeah, I mean, it could be sort of similar to what the Leafs tried to do with Nick Robertson last summer. It, you know, you saw the flashes of, oh, this could be something. And he did score a goal, I believe. Yeah, he did score a goal in those playoffs. Um, but maybe he was missing the 10, 20 games of experience that would really help him. But with Caulfield, like it's going to come and you keep putting him on the ice and you're going to get to that point where he's able to bury the chances that he has been getting. Uh, The Leafs actually had something similar play out at their morning skate with Nick Foligno not there, but expected to play. And then before the game, it was announced that he was scratched. So a lot of their best laid plans uh, again, in the, in the wake of this Tavares injury, uh, continued to be basically disrupt, disrupted. Uh, so instead of Felino down the middle, as it was on the second line in game two, Alexander Kerfoot stepped into there playing with William, William Nylander and who would his other line mate be? William Nylander okay. and uh, uh, Alex Galchenyuk. Yeah. He's so forgettable. Oh, yeah, that, that guy. So forgettable that it slipped my mind other than that calamity that was his first shift. Uh, but anyway, so Alexander Kerfoot in a huge spot, and this was probably his best game as a Toronto Maple Leaf. It's not going to show that in the stats. He didn't score. It's, it's nothing about it. If you look at the box score, is going to be indicative of the fact that this might have been his best game. But he filled in the shoes for Tavares better than anyone could tonight on the Maple Leafs roster. They haven't trusted him with three C roles in the past. And now he's playing the second line center position with William Nylander. And he had his best game that I've seen him play as a Toronto Maple Leaf. Uh, he deserves all the credit for this game because 
the 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 loss of Tavares is huge. The loss of Felino, I wouldn't say is bigger, but at least he's the next man up. And we've already talked about how they are lacking depth in this regard. The fact that Alex Galchenyuk could plug the hole in game three was frankly unexpected and just a huge thing for the Maple Leafs in winning this game. You have to give credit for William Nylander, who played one of his better games as well. I'm not going to say it's his best game as a Leaf because there have been many great games for William Nylander. But he was the driver for the Maple Leafs tonight in a lot of ways with Kerfoot. And I thought Pierre Engvall, who, as the, the chain or the conveyor belt moves up, he stepped into the third line spot and he did what Alexander Kerfoot hasn't been doing in the third line role. So those three players, absolutely key to the Maple Leafs victory tonight. No doubt about that. Um, there is a player in the Leafs though, that was sort of involved in the, in the main uh, moments of this game or the, the decisive moments of this game. It was Morgan Riley. Mm-hmm. I'll ask you, what did you see on Nick Suzuki's goal? Um, it was obviously not a great one to give up if you're Jack Campbell but I don't think Morgan Riley gave him any favors. So if Morgan Riley giveth and taketh in this game, which it seemed he did, uh, he definitely giveth on the goal from Nick Suzuki uh, with just problems with his gap control, I think. Yeah, I just from what I was able to, to gather from that play, I mean, Nick Suzuki is, is taking uh, – he's charging forward to the net, and, and Morgan Riley is not – he's not keeping the, his man in front of him. He's, like, on the side, and he's giving him all the space, and Suzuki gets that shot off, and – Maybe you could make the argument that Campbell should make the save, but I also don't think that Riley played him all that well. If Riley's in front of him and and limits the spacing that he has, Suzuki probably doesn't even get a shot on net there. But the way that uh, Morgan Riley is playing that shot, he's he's to his left. Suzuki still has all that space in front of him to get that shot off. I, I don't think Riley necessarily played that play all the, all that great. And I know you'll, you'll talk more about Riley and the goal that he scored after, but the fact that he was able to respond immediately after that, uh, pretty big on his part. It looked as if he was not taking it too, too well uh, on the bench after uh, that, goal allowed, that goal allowed. But the fact that he was able to have that pretty much instantaneous response, pretty big for his self-confidence. Yeah, less than five minutes after um, he made the poor defensive play on the goal, he scored after a pass from uh, from Mitch Marner. Uh, that was probably the only time that Carey Price didn't look in control of the game. He yeah. looked like he was completely off-centered for some strange reason. But uh, we had just seen Morgan Riley early in that game give up a chance where he had an opportunity to shoot, and he did take that one. I think it was maybe a better, uh, a higher grade-A chance at least in that in that moment. But it's just a it's just a huge moment for Morgan Riley. I don't want to say that his confidence is waning, but this is a player who hasn't been his best this year, hasn't been his, at his best for a couple years. He just got replaced on the number one power play by Rasmus Sandin, uh, and things aren't necessarily going all that great for him. And after he gives up that goal, you, you mentioned the emotion that he showed. He was asked about that in the post game, and he basically scoffed and said, you guys read up way too much into body language and all that stuff. <laughs> but it's true. I mean – you can't deny the fact that you were unhappy with yourself and the fact that he could turn it around just for him, certainly big for the Leafs, but certainly uh, big for him as well, because those moments there's been more giving than taking at least with Morgan Ryan of late. Um, you did mention the special teams a little bit. So obviously we, you know, we talked a little bit about Alex Galchenyuk having a rough first shift. It included a four minute minor penalty. So that, was a reason why the Canadians had all the opportunities in the world to have a really strong start. They did not produce a shot on that power play. However, Cole Caulfield did ring one off the bar, as we mentioned. 
But the both teams want to combine 0 for 7 on the power plays. So both teams, it's a collective calamity right now, at least at the power play position, at the power play opportunities. I think both teams would probably be happy with their penny league kill, obviously. Um, so, so what's the problem here with Montreal? And then I'll take a whack at what might be the problem for Toronto. Geez, at least when Toronto gets power play opportunities, they get zone time and they're able to try at least to set some plays up. And no, I did not mention zone time purposely. I was just saying, like, like the I've just off of what I've been able to see off both teams, Toronto looks slightly more organized than, than the Canadians do with the man advantage. The most, the more dangerous, the most dangerous the Canadians looked on the power play in Game Three was that chance Caulfield got. After that, it was just struggles to get into the zone and to, to set up properly with 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 their set in, in the offensive zone. And it just – it was just not necessarily good to look at. Uh, straight up, I, I don't even know if it's going to make my article for The Athletic. But do you remember that episode of SpongeBob where they're at the <laughs> – what, the, uh, the Krusty Krab and they have that talent show and SpongeBob is trying to tell all these jokes – and then at one point you hear that guy yell in the back, oh, brother, this guy stinks. Just take out guy and put power play because this Canadian's power play stinks. It's bad. It's not organized. It's very predictable. You're getting your, you know what's going to happen. You're going to get a shot from the point from Shea Weber. Shea Weber hasn't even really necessarily been all that effective either. That's a whole other story in itself. Um, yeah. And fine, Coffee was able to get that chance, but this Canadian's power play has gone from slightly promising to when Alex Burroughs uh, was in the early days of him taking over to just falling off a cliff and just being predictable, uh, not noteworthy at all. And I don't want to say a straight-up liability for this team, but if you're going through six, your first six minutes with the man advantage and you don't have a shot on net, that's unacceptable. That is just very bad. For the Montreal Canadiens, it is not a source of strength for this team right now. And it, it, they just, for I, I mean, look, I'm not a power play expert, but going up ice and just dumping and chasing and hoping for the best, like that's not it. I think they've had the success that they've had with zone entries where they're attacking the line with speed and bypassing some of those Leafs defenders and at least trying to give themselves a chance there. I'm not sure why they're not doing more of that, but uh, the few times they've done that, they've had success and also just having defensemen like Jeff Petrie jump into jump into the play and, and give themselves a chance. Like Jeff Petrie, I think, has been nondescript for three games in this series. He This is a guy at one point, remember, a lot of people were looking at him as a dark horse to be a Norris Trophy winner. And in the second half of the season, he's just been not the same guy. And in the playoffs so far, I don't think he's been as effective as he'd like to be. I think there's a lot missing with this Canadiens team with regards to playing on special teams. And when you have guys like Shea Weber who would normally be counted on the power play, not being effective and Jeff Petrie, not being effective, it really hurts this team in special teams. I don't want to deter you in any way, but just moving forward, any SpongeBob references, I will not get, That's but fair. you know, what, do you I, I, not want SpongeBob by G like, what is this? Never in my life. Have I watched an, an episode? I don't even know. Are they episodes? It's a TV show. I assume it's not just like a digital thing. What? Anyway. I, I don't know. That, that was that was not in the repertoire when it was when I was growing up. More uh, what? No, nah, saved by the that's bell. That's no way. No. Anyway, that's we're not on the SpongeBob SquarePants podcast. But like, I like the me- the memes are good though. The memes are good. Anyway, okay. Um, yes. Power play. There's been struggles for a long time, but I I think the Montreal Canadiens are doing a really good job with what with you know what they're doing in their sets. I think they're more attentive 
to Austin Matthews than most teams have been. Yeah. Like usually, usually if the Leafs don't score, at least they're able to get the puck to Matthews and let him wind up and fire away. Even there might be a bunch of people in the lane. It might be a contested look, but at least they're getting those looks. Against Montreal, it doesn't seem like they've been able to do much of that. So that's obviously the number one goal is to try and shut down Matthews because there's no shooters other than Matthews on the power play. And we talked about Nylander not playing on the power play and all that last time. And it is what it is. He actually got a, a fair amount of power play time in this game. Um, but I just think they're doing a really good job uh, being attentive to Matthews. And as long as you're doing that, that means the Maple Leafs have to make an adjustment. And we, we haven't seen that. Obviously, they didn't probably have to make an adjustment after game two because they did score. But it wasn't out of just like their basic half-court sets. It was kind of scrambly and, and things happened and they were able to be, you know, capitalize on that. Uh, but right now, I think it seems the Leafs have to make another adjustment because they have to find a way to get to free up Matthews if they're going to score any goals on the power play moving forward in the series. Um, as for their penalty kill, like I, I just think Marner is just a disruptor that the mm-hmm. Canadians can't can't deal with right now. Like he's he was so good on that four minute power play to start the game, uh, and if he wasn't that good in that four minute power play to start the game, the entire game was different. So. Uh, you have to give props to more to Mitch Marner, who hasn't really been the offensive force in the series yet, but doing his job at both ends, uh, or at least the defensive end. You have any other like general takes here? I, 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 I'll, I'll let you uh, stew on it for a second, and I'll, I'll just give you mine on the Leafs. Uh, it kind of goes to what they were doing with trying to replace Tavares, but like the Leafs are now going with what got them here. And there was all this talk about, oh, they worked so hard to improve the roster and they brought in Riley Nash for nothing as just this like savvy move that was going to put them over the top because he's their new third line center who they got to never be on the salary cap even once in the entire regular season, but he's going to play a major role in the playoffs. But really they're just back down to the studs. Like all the pretty trim that they put on this house has been ripped off and it's just who got them there. It's William Nylander on that second line now that Tavares isn't around for the, at least the rest of the series, we think. Obviously, Austin Matthews, <clears throat> Austin Matthews and Mitch Martyr. The defense, that vintage fourth line. And Wayne Simmons is a guy who's been here all season who hasn't necessarily been dominant at any point and maybe a little bit disappointing through the balance of the season. But he showed his value in this game. I think he's playing – he's relishing in that role where he's policing everything for the Maple Leafs, staying out on the ice after – you know, periods and talking with everybody, uh, starting the games. I don't really like him starting the games, but they do it to try and get him to sort of set the tone. And he was just really, really good in this game. He had a couple shifts where he was just dominating the puck and hemming the Montreal Canadiens in and just being a force physically. So all these pretty things that surrounded the team. Yeah, that's nice. Nick Foligno not playing. Riley Nash, non-factor. All these, all these additions, that's not what it's about. It's about the team that... Kyle Dubas put together and started this season with, and that's who's going to get them beyond the Montreal Canadiens, beyond likely the Winnipeg Jets if they get to that point. Um, the, the, the whole thing about, okay, this, this roster is all coming together right now, that's not so. It's, it's down to Matthews, Marner, Nylander, Jack Campbell, that defense core, and those veterans that have been with the team all season. I think that was proven tonight because as much as you think, you know, We'll throw Nick Foligno and all this stuff in the blender and it's all going to work out perfectly on night one. It has proven that that's not the case and they're going to have to ride the guys that got them there. And I think that manifested itself in this game. One take I want to talk about, uh, I know the Canadians physicality and the fact that they've been able to 
uh, out hit the Toronto Maple Leafs has been discussed. But and you could tell me if I'm wrong here. Do you feel at any sense, at any point in this series, that the Leafs have been overly bullied, or or sorry, not bullied, but but overly overtaken by the physical hitting nature of the Montreal Canadiens? Because I don't get that sense. I know the Canadiens yeah. have thrown their body around, and you can look at the stats and say, yeah, well, they got more hits than the Leafs. But when I see those scrums behind the net after the play is stopped and a Shea Weber is trying to outmuscle an Austin Matthews or a Ben Sherratt, and Austin Matthews is just not doing anything but also just smiling because he knows at the end of the day the other team can only do so much. And if they're going to draw the penalty for being dumb on him, then so be it. That's just a sign to me that this Toronto Maple Leafs team uh, – they're prepared for the ruggedness that the Canadians were going to enter this series with. I think the Canadians probably enter the series thinking that, hey, you know what? Playing that fast, aggressive style brought us some success in the early goings of the season. We have to bring that to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But the Maple Leafs haven't necessarily bent and broken over it. They've just take, they've been able to kind of go toe-to-toe with them at, at different points in those different scrums. And that, to me, I think is probably taking the Canadians by surprise just a little bit. I know, I know Shea Weber was talking about it post game after game three, just saying, you know what, you try to be tough against some of the, uh, the other team's best players, but I don't know if they thought that, you know, they'd come across as situations where they're trying to rough up Austin Matthews and he's literally smiling, just mm-hmm. kind of shrugging off some of the physicality that's coming his way. And that just goes to show like this Canadians team uh, it's already one thing for the fact that they don't have the goals coming in, but the fact that they can't be as imposing as they'd like to be against the Toronto Maple Leafs, that's another battle that they're losing in this series. And I think it was very apparent for them in game three tonight as well. Yeah, I think the Maple Leafs have dealt with it really well. I mean, historically, they have not dealt with the physicality that the, the playoffs brings and the differences between a regular season game and a postseason game has been a challenge, certainly for previous Leaf teams. And these Leaf, those Leaf teams are similar in how they're constructed as this one, but I guess there are slight differences. I mean, I think Austin Matthews has changed his game a little bit. I don't think it bothers him as much. I actually think he plays his best when he's engaged physically and going to war with a Ben Sherratt or going to a war with Shea Weber. I mean, he literally engaged voluntarily in that scrum with Shea Weber, which is, I don't think something he would have done a couple of years ago, certainly, uh, maybe not even last year. So I think that's a little bit of a difference, but I think you can play a little bigger too when you're when you got the guys on your team that you think can you can go to battle with I mean I I think Wayne Simmons helps in that regard I even think a guy like Joe Thornton helps in that regard Jake Mm -hmm. Muzzin should be like they got enough beef on the team to at least feel comfortable in their skin on the ice but I, I just think they deal with it more from an individual level I still think they get beaten up a little bit I think Alexander Kerfoot gets knocked on his ass every every shift it seems but doesn't seem to bother him that much and the best players seem to avoid it or manage to avoid it whether it's Austin Matthews laughing about it or Mitch Marner somehow not being involved in it whatsoever I don't know how he avoids it but he manages to and I think that's a skill in itself so um I I I don't know if they should I don't know if the Habs should up it I don't know if they should be more involved physically I don't know if they should ease up on it a little bit because it's clearly not working as maybe well as they thought it might um, but I think right now, I think that's one of the strengths from the Leafs or, or one of the surprises or one of the encouraging signs, if you're a fan of the team, is that they're just dealing with it a lot better. Now, I don't think Montreal is Tampa in that regard. I don't think it's Boston in that regard. I don't think it's Vegas in that regard. Like, it's a little different. There's layers to it a little bit. Uh, like, the, the, 
the difference between maybe Montreal and one of those teams is that that physicality, that dirtiness is omnipresent. It's all the time. But with the Canadians, maybe it's mostly after the whistles and just in front of the net. So maybe they're not dealing with it as much as they would against a Boston before. So maybe they're just, they've learned some lessons from the, the previous failures against the Bruins who have always flummoxed them with that physicality. So I think it's a sign of growth with them and maybe, uh, maybe the fact that maybe a sign that what Montreal thought they could do to get them off their game isn't working quite as well as it as maybe they thought it would. Nope. Uh, and again, just if the fact that the Canes can't win those physical battles is just, again, it's just another thing that's kind of setting them back in the series. And now they enter this game four, which is, it's going to be the biggest game of their season so far. I mean, of course, because of the fact that they could be facing a three, one deficit and they could be going back to game five in Toronto and if the Canadians find themselves in a position where they end up losing the rest of the games in this series and they don't take advantage of the potential advantage of having fans at home in game mm-hmm. six, it's going to be a damn shame for this organization considering the start that they had that looked very promising and it kind of ends with a thud. Uh, another thing I also want to mention in terms of general takes, uh, I don't know how much detail I got into it off the top with Carrie Price. Um, there's a quote that I don't remember verbatim, but he was asked about uh, how his play, how he feels about his, the players in front of him and the fact that they have not been able to score as many goals as he would probably like. And he straight up just said, like, you know what? He's not frustrated at all. And then he believes in the guys in front of him and he sees what they've been able to do in practice. And I kind of heard that and I thought, this kind of feels like a vote of confidence. You know, like, this is a guy who's had to deal with teams in the past that have not been able to score sufficient amount of goals for him to get more wins or more success in the postseason. But the fact that Carey Price, who maybe other guys in the same position as him could have easily tried to just call their guys out in the hopes of bringing a spark to their team instead chose another route in terms just to, you know, try to uplift them and be positive. I thought that was really interesting and not surprising, but just really interesting considering what he's had to put up with pretty much since his peak. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. in 2014-2015, uh, and again, just citing that stat where he's had below two goals in terms of run support on average uh, in the playoffs. Like this is a guy who could easily make a gripe about how he has not had enough run support throughout a good deal of his time at the Montreal Canadiens, but he opted to uh, just kind of try to support his teammates and, and show some belief in them. 
And if the tide turns in their favor in game four, you go back to what he says at the end of game three. If it doesn't, then it just further highlights the ineptitude in terms of the run support that he, or lack thereof, that he's had with this organization over the last few years. I th- honestly, I think he has reason to. Like, I, I don't think the Montreal Canadiens are going to start scoring at a level in which they would need to to win the Stanley Cup to get past, you know, the, the other North Division team and play in the third round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. I'm not sure that they have that. But I'm also not sure that he should write them off in this series. Like, this has been a close competitive series. It's not it swung so far in the Maple Leafs' favor. It's certainly attainable to get this second win get the third win and get the fourth win before the Toronto Maple Leafs do. It's certainly within their grasp. So I I think staying positive, probably important from a team dynamic, but I think it's also, he's also right to stay positive because I think um, they could break through here. They could break through in game four and they could certainly prolong this series uh, longer than maybe we expected, maybe longer than most people expected. This could get into the, into the mud pretty quick if the Montreal Canadiens can win game four and Carey Price continues to be at his level. Certainly this is not over just yet. Um, game four will be Tuesday night. Um, so they, a little quick turnaround here. It obviously thrusts the goaltending thing under the spotlight. I don't think we're going to see anybody but Carey Price and Jack Campbell. Jack Campbell has been um, unable to – you know, practice the next day after games previously. So I don't think we know for sure until he gets up in the morning and decides he's ready or not. Um, But there will be adjustments, right? If it's not goaltending, the Habs and Leafs have to take the data from game three and do something. So is there one pressing need for you for game four from the Habs perspective? Really good question. I'll say straight up, Dominic Ducharme put no doubt as to who's going to start game four. Carey Price is definitely going to be the guy in net. So there's no doubt for them there. Um, I mean, in terms of goals, uh, look, it's very clear. We, we've, we've highlighted the issue of the fact that the Canadians were not able to get offensive production as much as they would like. But at this point, you already have Jesperi Kakanyemi in the lineup who scored in game two. You have Cole Caulfield who was being active. Your only hope is seeing that Jake Evans is healthy enough to play in, in, in game four. And he's still day-to-day. We don't know what his status is going to be. But if he's able to play in game four, I'm not saying he's the most – uh, proficient player offensively, but he's definitely an energy guy and he was able to, you know, do some good things playing alongside uh, Paul Byron and Arturi Lekin. And that's also another guy who we're going to have to look out for as well, uh, who did not finish the game uh, yep. with the, I'm not sure what the injury was in, in his case, but I mean, I so that, for, def, that, that yeah. definitely just to interrupt you for a second, that definitely keeps Kanyemi and Caulfield in. Absolutely. I mean, it, it definitely keeps Tatar in and, and we don't know what Jake Evans status is, but, you know, as much as things are a little difficult from a lineup perspective, the same thing is now happening in Montreal. I'm also just curious if uh, Alexander Romanov gets a look. Uh, mm-hmm. I know John Merrill has, has kind of drawn in and, and, and Brett Kulak is obviously there as well. Uh, I just wonder if the Canadians will consider at any point, uh, whether for game four or game five, uh, just adding uh, the dynamic play of, of, of Alexander Romanov, a guy who's a little younger, again, just a bit more fearless to play uh, against. I just think maybe he draws into the series at some point, but uh, maybe that's a guy you look at for the next game. But I think he, in terms of his inclusion, it's not necessarily at the top of the pecking order as opposed to, you know, hoping Arturi Lekkinen can come back or hoping that Jake Evans can come back from his injury sooner than later. So I think it just kind of depends on, on the state of those two guys I just mentioned before uh, we really see what Dominic Ducharme has up his sleeve for game four. 
could be another shot in the arm. They obviously have that one last ace in the hole in terms of uh, guys that uh, might be in that cut Kenyemi group or the, the four horsemen. Is that what – something like that? You know, it's Caulfield probably, didn't it's throw probably, up the four. He didn't throw up the some, four. Uh, he didn't score. You can't do it after you hit the crossbar, I don't think. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's they, true. They, probably, they probably came up with something cooler than the four horsemen, though. I'm going to regret saying that. Anyway, uh, for the Leafs, um, in terms of just like adjustments or things they have to consider – I mean, I, I think you have to at least have a discussion about protecting a lead. You're not going to win or <laughs> hold many leads if you get out attempted 24 to four in third periods when you're holding a one goal advantage. So uh, probably a good thing, obviously, that they won the game and were able to hold on to that lead, but maybe good as well that uh, they have some things to look at and shore up because that can't happen again if they expect to uh, win games with regularity or hold leads with regularity. Um Let's talk a little bit about the Oilers before we go. Uh, I assume you caught the collapse of epic proportions in game three versus Man. Winnipeg. Three goals in the last under nine minutes. And of course, the inevitable Nick Ehlers overtime winner. They are, I believe, up in this game right now. They are facing elimination as we speak. And I think they scored the last two goals in the game and lead 3-2 at the second intermission. <laughs> I mean, they had a three-goal lead, so that wasn't safe. And clearly, this one is not safe either. Um, but I think we know that the Winnipeg Jets are probably going to get through this series. And we're going to have to talk about what the Oilers are facing in terms of their future here. Because my take from this, after such a stunning collapse and a, such a colossal disappointment in the postseason, we think, of course, they still have the chance to hold this lead and then win three more games. But my take is that we can't even take anything from the regular season and apply it because clearly they're missing something here. Like we thought, okay, McDavid and Drysaddle, so brilliant. No one can touch them in the regular season. Different story in the postseason. But no one can touch them in the regular season, so it doesn't even matter who surrounds them. But this, if anything, this postseason has shown they, they don't have any top six forwards beyond Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. Like, I was fully on the Ryan Nugent Hopkins has to stay bandwagon. I, I was driving that bus because I didn't want him. I thought he was – I thought he was a key part of their top six that could, that could at least drive results, play with one of the best players in the world, and help facilitate them. When if they have to play together, he can get things done on that second line. But he hasn't in this series. He, like Dominic Kuhn, who didn't play in game three, and like Kyler, Kyler Yamamoto, who cannot score for the life of them, Yes, he pulled the RV maybe, like you could cement him in as a top six forward, but they have so much work to do if they want to be a legitimate team in the, on the second line, in their middle six overall. So everything that they did that was so great in the regular season, I don't even think it applies anymore because what we see now in these playoffs is a clearly flawed team and a supporting cast that's just not good enough for Connor and Leon, despite the fact that they haven't been as good as they needed to be. So I, I think, you know, Huge summer for the Oilers already. $30 million to spend whichever way they want. It's going to be fascinating how they approach this offseason because there's so much missing up front. And this is, we haven't even mentioned Mike Smith. He wasn't the problem. He hadn't been the problem until the collapse. Maybe one yeah. goal. He was maybe one or two goals he could have had, you know, reasonably. And so it's on him in part. But he had been brilliant in the series up to that point. Like he was not the problem. He was not the problem for them. But you can't expect him to return at age 40 and deliver the same results as he did this year. 
it's just so much work to do. There's, they got to get under that hood and fix up everything if they expect to get this, re, not even rebuild, just this retooling to the point it needs to be at. Ken Allen needs to get active. And there are already many Edmonton Oilers fans who were probably upset at the fact that he didn't do enough to make this team better heading into the playoffs, considering the year that Connor McDavid had. Ken Holland better, you know, whether through trade, whether through free agency, something. He needs to do something this offseason to ensure that that top six looks a lot better than it did this season for the Edmonton Oilers or the pressure, the hot seat that he will be sitting on will be a blazing inferno. This is on him as far as I'm concerned. Connor McDavid did as much as he could to have a great season for himself and also put the Edmonton Oilers in a position where they could get a decent seed in the playoffs. Leon Dreisaitl as well. In the playoffs, fine. You know what? They did not have – those two players didn't have points in the first two games. You can throw some blame on them, I guess. But they at least tried to be productive in game three. And it just goes to show they can't just do everything on their own. Even teams like a Colorado where, you know, they have Nathan McKinnon, who is like a top three, if not top five player in the National Hockey League. You can at least point to a supporting cast of guys like Amiko Rantanen, for an example, or Devin Tays at the back end or Campbell Carr at the back end. And even their fourth line has been very dynamic. Colorado Avalanche have a team with a whole bunch of different pieces you can look at. The Tampa Bay Lightning are not just a team of Nikita Kucherov. They have Steven Stamkos. They have Alex Kalorn and other players. The quality teams who have a fighting chance at winning the Stanley Cup this year, I didn't even mention Vegas, it's not just about having the marquee player up front and then having just bit and Z players as you're filling out your top six. The rest of your top six has to be quality and it has to be a priority, whichever way that he's able to do it uh, for Ken Holland, the general manager of the Edmonton Oilers. I think Jesse Pugliarvi showed some strides this year. Uh, I, I, I have to agree with you, I guess, with Nugent Hopkins as well. Uh, I'm not sure how they're going to fill in some of those spots. I'm not sure what, what, what options might look enticing to them. I think if anything, they should see about trying to see about getting a trade in and not just going for some slim picking in the free agent market. If they're able to make a trade, a surprise trade at getting someone uh, to, to come in and kind of fill up that top six, that's going to help them going forward. See to it. I, I, I look, just get the whiteboard up in your office, Ken, and just throw ideas there and see what you can get. Because another season of, of, of no success with the Edmonton Oilers with Connor McDavid is unacceptable at this point. Yeah, I mean, there there are no excuses. I mean, nope. we've, we've heard excuses to this point. we got to wait to this summer because we have so much cap flexibility and these players coming off and this and that, Seattle expansion draft, all that. But there's no excuses next year. They have to build a good team around Connor McDavid. The di- you mentioned Nathan McKinnon. The difference, there's a lot of differences between Colorado and pretty much every other team. But when Nathan McKinnon misses a few games at the end of the season, who comes up and plays? Tyson Jost. A player like yeah. that, like the Oilers don't have anything even remotely close to just a talented player that plays in the top six that can come up and, and eat some minutes when needed. When needed, It's just not even close. Like the, the difference is obviously between Colorado and everyone else, stark. But with Edmonton, if they're ever going to be good enough to win with Connor McDavid, they need some of those players who can play. It doesn't matter if they're playing third line minutes, fourth line minutes, or needed in the top six, they're going to be able to have an impact. That's just not what they have at this moment. What they do have this at this moment is a 3-2 lead with uh, 18 minutes left. So, again, this isn't going to be perfectly, uh, perfectly timed on our sake. But I will run down the, uh, what we do know from 
a busy Monday night, a busy holiday Monday night uh, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. The New York Islanders winning 3-2 over Pittsburgh. Uh, Tristan Jari with an epic blunder. I mean, Samsonov-level blunder. Uh, and now Pittsburgh faces elimination after having a chance to go up 3-1 just earlier in the weekend. So uh, the tables have turned. Any, any hot takes on what's going on in that series? Tristan Jerry again. The fact that you mentioned Tristan Jerry uh, being at fault, man, if you are the Pittsburgh Penguins and Tristan J- and you go through a second consecutive year where goaltending lets you down in a series, whether it's a play-in last year or the playoffs this year, geez, that, or, that management group has to take a serious look at the goaltending position and see what could be done because they have the core that they have. They could clearly still be a playoff team, but it's clear two years in a row goaltending is what's letting this team down. Be disappointing because, uh, you know, we're talking about how many runs does Sidney Crosby have left. I think Sidney Crosby has plenty of game. But how how is that roster going to sort of start to erode? I think it already has started to erode. So if it continues to erode, how are they going to stop that from happening? And I feel like this is a chance that we could have saw one more meaningful run for Sidney Crosby, at least as the roster is currently constructed. Uh, elsewhere, the Florida Panthers staved off elimination, winning 4-1 to one over Tampa Bay. They're going to go to a game six in Tampa. Spencer Knight, the third goaltender in the series for Florida, the 20-year-old, makes 36 saves in a row Wow! to help the Panthers avoid elimination. A uh, legendary performance. It is too bad that they just signed a goaltender to a maximum turn free agent contract worth $10 million a year. Seattle, maybe they could pawn him off. Probably not. No chance. But at least, at least they've got a quality goaltender who's, uh, who's, uh, I mean, going to be earning a free agent or an entry level deal rather for quite a while, and looks like he's ultra talented. So Florida survives. Um, I think we probably would expect Tampa to eventually get that done. Uh, but the series that most people had circled as being potentially the most entertaining or most look forward to will at least be extended into six games. Uh, I don't even think Bobrovsky dressed for. Uh... For the game, did he? Am I wrong? I'm not. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if they went with Drieger as the backup, but the 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 musical chairs, the rotation, it's kind of unlike anything we've ever seen. Like, yeah, it's not like injuries are happening. It's just they've got three goaltenders and they're just trying to. They're just going with whoever they feel like. Joel Quenville is just in the casino rolling the dice. I think it was the best move, honestly. I think the worst move was starting Bobrovsky game one, and the best move exactly. has been broading has been bringing Spencer Knight off the bench or out of the press box to play, uh, to make his debut in the playoffs. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's like that junior chef in the kitchen, just throwing spaghetti at the walls, just hoping something sticks. Also, uh, I guess I can make the cop reference here. Uh, it looks, might be for his bet might be for the best for Bobrovsky. You take away the badge and gun because he just has not been effective as the number one cop on the force for the Florida Panthers. There you go. Well done. Um, okay. Two you games. understood. <laughs> <laughs> one that there you go so you had to really dumb it down for me to to be uh seriously though i need to figure out like what movie. children's shows you watched as a child because i still have a hard time believing you did not watch. i know you're older than me i have a hard time believing you did not watch any spongebob i'm saying if you hit me with a say by the bell reference i'm gonna be all over say by the bet. bell damn it wait you didn't watch say by the bell I mean, I was kind of late to that. And like when I was a little older, like, oh, I see like all the older episodes. But like, I was, when was that show even on? I might not even been alive. 
I mean, that's, I guess that's the generation. People can figure out exactly how much older I am because when you were watching SpongeBob, I was watching Saved by the Bell. That's, that's it. That's the difference between you and I right there. Okay, let's quickly get to the last two games that are currently ongoing. Again, if you're listening to this on Monday morning, you will know the results. But Edmonton is trying to stave off elimination. We believe they're eventually going to get booted from these posts, from these playoffs early. But they do hold the lead as we speak now. And the Vegas Golden Knights have a chance to knock off the Minnesota Wild in five games on home ice. But they trail three to one to start the second period. So, again, those two series look like we kind of know what's going to happen. So, uh, you know, we could it could all change from what I just said. Um, but, you know, the point probably stands with the way those series are going. Um, you and I will be back at some point. I don't think we know exactly yet. Uh, but this Leaf uh, Canadians game, we will not be here to break it down. I, I will be solo uh, for game four, but hopefully by either game five. And if we see a game six, we'll be able to do this one more time. Um, you, I want to give you a chance to plug your stuff because you're working hard right before we get on to whip up stuff for the athletics. So give, I'll give you a chance to plug what you've been working on in these post games and to just boast a little about the fact that you can finish a column and start a podcast about 30 minutes after the, the game ends. It's pretty impressive. You also watched the press conference in Montreal. I'm not sure how you're doing all this right now. Uh, I just want to say, like, when you put that all in perspective, I'm literally living out, like, a dream I've wanted to do for, like, quite some time. You know, just, like, watch a game, uh, you know, just be in the media availability, and then uh, just get the opportunity to just kind of do an instant reaction. Like, when we do the shows on the Sundays, uh, you know, we're going off of stuff we've seen the night before or stuff we've seen during the week. And, you know, that's pretty interesting. But when we're going off a literal instant reaction and I'm able to just kind of go back into my notes and just see what I've been able to watch on TV, it's like, I don't know. I feel I feel just like I've, I've really been enjoying doing these episodes with you, man, these last few ones. So uh, I, I look forward to the next one in this series that I'll be on with you for. But, uh, yeah, uh, for The Athletic, uh, I am doing a column called Canadians Playoffs Plus Minus. We're basically – uh, I watch the game from the Canadians' viewpoint, and I look at guys who were positive, guys who were worthy of a plus, Carey Price uh, notably being one of those guys. And uh, I look at people or things that are probably worthy of a minus, like the Canadians' power play, or Dominic Ducharme, or Jeff Petrie, or Shea Weber, or Brendan Gallagher. There's a lot. Uh, but yeah, you can check out those columns up at The Athletic. Uh, subscribe if you already haven't subscribed to The Athletic. And uh, yeah, after every Canadians-Leafs game, uh, I don't know if the Canadians will get beyond this series, but if they do, I expect to continue that as well. But uh, after every Canadians playoff game, I will have a column, Canadians playoff plus minus. The name is kind of long, but uh, I like it. I mean, plus minus, it, it covers off too. We, we do the tire pumps. That's akin to a plus. We got to yeah. find a way to get a minus in uh, into our show eventually, but we'll work on that. So definitely check out Julian's post game column. If the Oilers do in fact blow this, I'll have a post mortem on the Oilers and their colossal disappointment tomorrow. So not o- not only uh, are we giving you the uh, what you need for your earbuds, but you're also getting uh, what you need in written form as well from both of us. And as I say that, the Winnipeg Jets have tied things up. So we'll leave it Woo-hoo! there. We could definitely be talking about the Oilers being ousted from the playoffs tomorrow, and that will be highly entertaining. Julian, I'll talk to you next time. All right, peace.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50% to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 